So I guess to sum up how I feel about one takes, I'm a fan. I'm a fan too. As long honestly. as they're used effectively. But it's one of those things. I don't like them just because they're there. Right. Well, it's just like any sort of medium. It's just like, well, if I'm going to do a painting, it doesn't really matter like what canvas type of canvas I'm going to do it on. Like, is the painting good? You know? Sure. Like, like the one shot take is just a, it's not, it's not a style. It's not a, uh, it's not a motif in itself. It's just a tool you use to amplify a scene. One takes aren't anything new either. Alfred Hitchcock, I think, was one of the first major directors to use them. There was a movie he made in back in the late 40s called Rope. When I was looking up things about directors who famously are or, or are well known for using long takes, he was in there. Same with Stanley Kubrick and Akira Kurosawa. A lot of the great masters of directing were featured in there. So as a result, a lot of directors these days want to do the same thing because they want to be like them. There's Everyone wants to be Stan. Every director wants to be Stanley Kubrick or Kurosawa. We were talking about Blade Runner earlier and I just, that, that, that sort of dry sci-fi of the eighties, that, uh, drony type sci-fi that you get from stuff like dune and and uh blade runner and logan's run and stuff like that like it's all very like at least at least in my eyes it's very kubrick inspired because it's thinking that 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 dryness that that sort of lack of uh of pure color is what draws people into the movie and none of them really captured and knew what kubrick was going for i don't think anybody really knows what's going what was ever going on in Kubrick's head when he was making those films but for some weird reason he just had that like magic touch on it to where it was like perfect for that film and he didn't do it for every single thing he ever did he did it for certain things and I think Stanley Kubrick you know used that in a way where it's like he's sort of emulating the dead emptiness of space and it's reflecting that on the characters. Yeah, for 2001 and especially. That, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's like the dead emptiness of space and how still and lifeless it is for the most part uh, was reflected on the characters. And other directors have just taken that and tried to impose, like superimpose it onto the movie that they're making when it really doesn't fit for the most part. And that's why a lot of those movies, I feel like, don't hold up that much is because it's, it's a total emulation. When I think about one takes and directors being very eager in recent years to use them, I think of that old episode of the of the animated series Home Movies where the main character, Brendan, is obsessed with using a fisheye lens. All the directors are doing it. For his latest project. <laughs> it's going to make everything look all... He's making this stupid movie, right? Yeah. But he knows, or what he thinks he knows, that what will make it better is that, well, if we use a fisheye lens, what this film needs is a fisheye lens because it's something that directors use a lot and it makes everything look weird. There's another episode of Home Movies where he's like, we should shoot this all in reverse. Like, everybody's doing it. So, Brandon goes to the camera store to buy the fisheye lens and he shows it off and... He's really excited about it, but then he shows it to Jason, his friend, who works on his movie, his home movies with him. 
And he's just like, um, Brennan, it's just, who cares? <laughs> who fucking cares? <laughs> he's like, but, but it makes you look really weird. It's cool. And he's like, no, it's just. It's not adding anything. All the directors who use this kind of stuff are, are hacks. Yeah. <laughs> and they're looking for a hook, right? so to speak. They're looking for a, uh, would you say, a fucking gimmick? And at the end of the day, he tries to buy the fisheye lens because he saved up all this money to buy it. And then the store clerk is like, this lens isn't going to fit on your camera. <laughs> so he's like, okay, well, I'll buy the camera that that works with it. And he's like, oh, well, that's $1,500. He's like, $1,500? Who could afford that? He's like, I'm so mad at you. Well, not at you. Just at the situation. Just, ah. So, so that brings us right in mm-hmm. to uh, what we're talking about today. We're talking about basically gimmicks in general, and and just these these t- things that directors do to like hook people into their movies, and like a like a shitty like a shitty hook on a catchy hook on a shitty song. Uh, Sam Mendes comes rolling that big fucking gimmicky choo choo train in, and today we're going to be talking about his movie. 1917. Yeah. Welcome to episode four, everybody. In case you didn't know by clicking on this, this is the, the Hacksaw episode. Yes, the this. fourth episode of the Hacksaw podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about the overrated hacks who have really received enormous praise. Just basically everything has just been like, you know, just praised at nauseum to the point where it's like, you know, maybe it's true. Well, let's check it out. Let's put this under the microscope. Let me get my 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 freaking my microscope out. We're gonna look at it. We're gonna examine this. You know, find out if there's really all the praise that is 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 needed in here. Right. So we're talking about Sam Mendes. He's a director who has a lot of similarities to Christopher Nolan, who we covered on our first episode. They are from the same generation. They are pretty close to the same age. They're both... Both English. They're both English, for right. sure. <laughs> they're both... Genera- that, that was my research. That oh, Very good. Yeah. They're both Generation X. Pieces of garbage. Dandy fops. <laughs> <laughs> and they both started out pretty young in terms of directing. Sam Mendes got his start, at least as far as directing films goes, in the late 90s. His very first film came out in 1999 it was a huge phenomenon it was the film american beauty have you seen american beauty Everett, recently or at all uh not recently no uh i mean i i've i've seen it enough like i've seen it more than once uh you know i it's just one of those movies that's like been in the lexicon like of pop culture for so long that it's like i've basically heard every bit from it you know it's just been referenced over and over and over again and and it's fine. Like I watched it again. Uh, I have a few friends that I talked to about Sam Mendes with, and they could not. They they wanted to like bury me under the concrete when I told them that I didn't think American Beauty was that good. <laughs> so I it's remember- okay. It's not the it's not the worst. Sam Mendes. I uh, we don't think that really Sam Mendes is a hundred percent a hack. He's not like full on Christopher Nolan level hack. Uh, he's the thing. But this movie that in particular where we're gonna be talking about is like a hack stream. Oh, for sure. I don't think Sam Mendes is 
as much of a hack director as Christopher Nolan is. I think American Beauty doesn't really hold up, but like many movies from that time, that's just how it goes. He's made some movies that I think are pretty good. I really liked Jarhead. I thought Skyfall was one of the best James Bond movies in a long Definitely time. Definitely was. It was a good turnaround for James Bond, like actually becoming not a goofy, just weird, like just out of this world freaking movie. Like it was, it, it kind of grounded James Bond in a way, which I kind of liked. Sam Mendes basically from, went from doing kind of like Christopher Nolan went from doing art house cinema with a gimmick to doing blockbuster films with a gimmick or gimmicks plural gimmickai <laughs> if that's the word with the latest well not skyfall but with the bond movie he made a few years after that specter he started experimenting with the one with the long take technique at the very beginning of specter there's about a 10 to 15 minute long one take shot it isn't actually one take it's hidden the edits well yeah just like you know we're gonna talk about later i mean it's it's there's it's most it's not one shot it's things edited together to look like one shot sure but when you first see it without looking at it too critically you think wow that's really cool that they all got that in one take wow wow such a great director wow so sam mendez pretty much approached 1917 with that main idea which was I want to make a film that's all in one take so I can get all the praise. All the bitches. And all the bitches and all yeah. the awards that come with attempting such a challenge. Because, I mean, really it is. It's like it's yeah. like doing the 900 on the skateboard, you know? It's like, you know, you really, you get, you get, you get cemented into, uh, into the lexicon. And um, it's like something that, a lot of directors are, you know, sought after to try and achieve. And, and it's really like, it's one of those things that you can do. It's one of the few things you can do with directing like these days. That's like a feat, you know, it's like, cause, cause movies for a long time, like, you know, back in, uh, you know, the 20th century and stuff, like it was always like, Oh, this is like the first time we've had this many like freaking horses on film at once all riding together. Oh, this is the first time we filmed, you know, at the top of this tower, like, you know, like when uh, Tom Cruise and that Mission Impossible movie uh, leaned out of the, like, the bridge, the, the Khalifa building. And uh, it's just always, it's, there's always, there's not that many feats anymore. The Wiz Khalifa building. The Wiz, the Wiz Khalifa building. I, I don't know what it's called. I think it's called like the Mia Khalifa. The Mia Khalifa building. <laughs> the big giant dubai cock that sticks out um yeah tom cruise loved the, the that. giant building the giant skyscraper <laughs> in dubai yeah. yeah tom cruise was just like crawling all over it right at home um <laughs> but uh there's just not that many like frontiers in film to like really push into so certain things like this like like the huge one take shots and stuff like that that's like some of the few things that you can do that still seem like somewhat of a like a feat rather than just trying to make a good movie you're trying to like achieve something they're definitely really difficult to do but i would argue that they're much easier to do nowadays especially if you have a really big budget behind your film because you can hide cuts with digital effects absolutely we can also just cut 
which is just yeah. what happens in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so you just straight out, just yeah, just cut. Like, <laughs> like oh no, no, this scene's over with. We gotta move on to something else. So I think to start out, we've already mentioned 1917. I want to say in every episode so far, I have at least just because, <laughs> and I've I've carpet bombed every episode of this podcast so far with 1917 references, just because like. You know, and honestly, we're doing this now. I just need to get, we just need to get out of the system. We need to move on. I need to stop doing this. Like, I need to, I'm finally getting to it. Um, just need to purge this out. But it's just one of those things where it's like in the last couple of years, this is the only movie that's really stuck out to me so hard as like, wow, this director is like totally like not giving a shit about anybody seeing him as just a gimmick. Yeah, you all saw this episode coming for sure. We've been telegraphing it for a while. Part of it is 1917, the film. It's something that we were both really looking forward to seeing last year. I was so excited for it. I think it was our most anticipated event of the last year. I was even excited for the one shot thing. I thought that was even going to be interesting. Sure. We all saw that featurette that played uh, before... Every single movie you went and saw in the theaters. Yeah, back when you could go to the movie theaters, it was... was, uh, heavily heavily featured and it was always the same scene but it was this they were acting like sam mendez was achieving this like landmark in film throughout the entire thing they they did the similar i mean i'm going to reference christopher nolan again here but like similar to dunkirk in the very beginning of that um they just played this up like it's the event of the century and they added all this stuff for every movie you saw, there was a featurette of it, but there was like nothing but behind the scenes constantly being portrayed. The marketing on this movie must've been insane with how much time slots it took up. I mean, you couldn't get away from it. Right. Part of the reason too, is we're both pretty big war movie fans and another good war movie. We both read a lot about world war one and we were excited that there would be a new big production big budget world war one film yeah there's the film not is, that many of there's like there's just not that many world war one films at least modern ones you know no i there's quite a few that came out in the earlier ha- or of the the first half of the 20th century oh yeah. yeah yeah stanley kubrick even did one a movie called paths of glory that was done back in the 1950s but when you think of war movies generally you think of or at least 20th century war movies Generally, think of World War Two. Yeah, maybe some Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam for sure. That's the main. Th- those are the main wars that get covered because they seem to be the wars that you can tell the most stories from. Yeah, those are the most. Yeah, it's the most documented. I mean, World War One was very heavily documented, but I mean, you didn't have too many survivors left over. I think, and that and that has a lot to do with it as well, is that you had people that would come back and write books and talk about it and advise on certain things. And well, with World War II especially, I feel yeah. like that war seemed to have more of a grand narrative behind it. It was easier to put into a movie because you had a clear good and evil. Yeah. You had a clear, like, like Nazis bad, us good. You know, it, it, it wrote itself. With World War One, it's a bit different because it's it's... You know, it's more ambiguous on like who the bad guys really were. I mean, there were no Nazis or anything. It was just it was just nations going to war with each other, and it's harder to have like an overarching narrative. So what you have to do when it comes to this is you have to 
isolate your narratives down to certain people. You have to isolate the narratives. You have to narrow them down into like certain small stories, which is what uh, you know what Sam Mendes did is that he narrowed the he narrowed the scope of the war because it was such a huge you know vast conflict. I mean, you just go literally like you know three quarters of the world were involved in this thing, and it uh, spanned across almost every freaking continent. So there's a uh, a lot to work with there. So you have to narrow it down into certain stories and certain certain areas. There's no like landmark areas like in World War Two. It's like, oh yeah, we're in Stalingrad or we're in D Day in Normandy Beach or something like that, you know. It's like you have these like iconic sort of areas to kinda of touch on. World War One, there's not really that many of them, you know. Some even argued that like it's even arbitrary to talk about World War One as like a bunch of different battles like i mean in reality with how much fighting was going on it was kind of all one long big battle that lasted four years and mm-hmm. that makes it like you know i can understand how that can make it somewhat challenging to write a good story but there's plenty of them out there but sam mendez decided to go with a story that you know i think is serviceable i think the premise of the movie is fine uh it's just what he decided to focus on. Right. Well, I tried watching some interviews with Sam Mendes in preparation of this episode about wanting to make this film. And the question that comes up is, well, basically, why did you want to make this film? And he said, well, I was just looking for a new challenge, something I haven't done before. Because I've done it all. Because I've done so many amazing feats of cinema throughout my career what is there left to do i'll make a film in one shot and i'll make it about world war one because my great grandfather fought in world war one and i'll also give myself the challenge of writing the script myself yeah because it was his first script year it was the first time he ever actually wrote his own movie right pretty much yeah, yeah. and he's not a good writer he's really not well, no, you see it in the movie because it's like he covers it up by just having them mumblecore themselves throughout the entire film. And that's, you know, again, this is even something that you could have got over. I mean, you still could have even had like a mumbly movie where you don't get any, uh, you don't get any uh, character interaction or character building based off dialogue. You get it more visually. Maybe uh, there's, you know, fighting going on to where there can't be that much talking. So they have to use, it's more of a body language. It's more of an expression kind of thing. You could definitely hold a narrative up that way. Absolutely. But he chooses to like kind of have the worst of both worlds. And you have a mumbly movie where, uh, there is no dialogue, like strong dialogue to build characters up, to make you care about these characters, to make you uh, want to see them through to the end or anything like that. Uh, and you don't have any overarching danger. You just have essentially the Hobbit without any cool shit. You essentially have two guys like going on a really long fucking walk. And yeah, they, there is danger. Obviously, I'm not saying there's no danger or anything at all in that aspect. I'm just saying you yourself do not feel much of the danger throughout the movie. It's like it's it's very 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 lumbering. Well, the film is meant to be very approachable to people who don't know a lot or anything about World War One, and I think that's totally fine. That's because fine too. World yeah. War One is not something I really learned about 
in school until yeah. I you don't need started, to. You don't, I started you don't having need an interest to know that in it much. on my own. You don't need to know that much, honestly, about the war. I, I feel like that's arbitrary in a way because the movie's not about what you think about the war. The movie's I mean, at least that's at least that's not what it, what it should have been. It should have been. There's no politics in the movie. There's no there's no politics in the movie discussed. There's nothing like that. There's no them bad, us good, anything like that. It's well, just we're all here, and that's fine. Like again, there's so many things that are like about this movie that like yeah, you could have all of these things, but when you put them all together, when Sam Mendes puts it all together, they just fall apart because there's no glue to hold anything together. It's just them getting from point A to point B. And the entire movie is just Sam Mendes showing off all the very interesting and cool sets that he put together. The cool, like little, the, the cool areas that he built up, the trenches and stuff like that, the, the places that they look cool. I'm going to say that right out of the gate too. The cinematography in this movie is fantastic, you know? Oh yeah. I, but and- the cinematography is just one aspect of a movie. You need all, you need a lot more than just a pretty movie to make it impactful. Right. And I would say back when he said this movie's not political at all, I would slightly disagree. It's just the politics aren't really a focus at all. I'd say no, the not, main political like primary me- focus. Yeah. There's the main political message of this film is war is bad. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If you do war, it's pretty bad. You're bad. Going. There are some brief gestures of politics at war. There's the whole sense of the pointlessness of these battles. Yeah. And there's miscommunication between different ranks of the British forces. But the film really has no interest in examining the politics of World War One at all because that's really not what they're trying to do. And plus it's super, super complicated. Yeah. So it, it would be a, I understand it would be a difficult, that. Yeah, I totally give that a pass, like hundred percent. I mean it's that's how you could make a whole movie just with guys sitting behind a fucking desk figuring it out but much like <laughs> yeah but much like dunkirk a couple years before this i feel like the movie does have a kind of nationalistic bias towards the british against well, the absolutely germans. i mean it it well i understand whereas the germans from, were also victims absolutely of this war there were no not I mean, this one thing is that like remember world war one it's before world war two got that you got yeah. that, Jordan? Got yeah, the, one comes it before, before two. two. Which is me, it was before Hitler. It was before the Nazis. It was before all that stuff. Germany was just a fucking country, just like France was a country and stuff. And they just, you know, they were all just, nobody was like, you know, killing. There was no racial killing. I mean, probably was, you know, I'm just saying. But like, there was no like national mandate of evil. It was just warfare like every other country was conducting it. You know, there was no, really, I mean, in my personal opinion, I mean, other people may feel differently about this and stuff, but I don't think there was any good guys or bad guys in World War One. I. I don't really see that. There's no, like, defining force that was, like, of evil. There was just, it just wasn't exist. It was a very, you know, it was ultimately very tragic and just horrifically sad because it was all just people that were just like, fuck, I guess we're here now. The main evil of World War One is just, War, war itself. itself yeah war itself yeah it's just like killing just, everything just just you know nine, eight, 19th century minds meeting 20th century technology and and killing power yeah and there's definitely a huge clash there a huge shock to the system <laughs> and you know i i really was hoping in the back of my mind that to me that's the most interesting part about world war one is 
that mindset because in the very beginning of the war, they were still charging with fucking horses and swords at machine guns. And it took them a little while to figure out that you can't just charge at a bunch of fucking like, you know, automatic rifles and machine guns. And you can't just like run a horse through barbed wire. You can't just like, you know, stand in one spot or else you're going to get hit by artillery or something. They, they were, they were figuring all this out on the fly mm-hmm. as they were going. And, you know, I'm not a historian, so, like, just, you know, I'm doing my best here, but... Well, you um, played Battlefield 1. I have played enough Battlefield 1 to where I am somewhat of an expert on... seen Lawrence of Arabia, right? Yeah, you know, I know that you need... Yeah, exactly. You just need to fly your plane up, parachute out, kill everybody, drop C4, you're good, you win the war. But uh, (laughs) but the thing is, is that that, the most interesting part about the war, to me, in terms of what I would like to see in a movie, is, like, people dealing with that aspect the aspect of like holy shit this is what war is now this is what the new deal is like it's not like it was in the books and and stories and stuff of the great adventure and the great you know we're just we're gonna go on this like journey and we're gonna it's this once in a lifetime adventure that you're gonna sign up for it's like no it's literal guttural hell and a lot of people were shocked and 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 you know right we're facing that reality World War One came. World War One happened at this time, and this is something that's brought up. I'll briefly mention. There's a really great documentary about World War One that came out uh, a year or so before 1917. Uh, the Peter Jackson directed. Yeah, they will not grow old. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and that movie also doesn't really take much of a political stance, but it really puts you in the the mindset of the people back then in the early 20th century, where. Yeah, a lot of these their mindsets. A yeah. lot of these young men were just thinking, "Well, there's some kind of war going on. I don't really know what it is. Yeah, I don't know why we're going to war or anything like that." But they said we're going, so but I'm going to sign up, and I don't want to miss it. It sounds like a really grand adventure. Let's yeah, people were let's p- go do it, lads. People were clamoring to sign up because they just didn't want to miss out on the adventure and the and and, all, and the you know the you don't really get that. I mean, you get one or two maybe one chance in your whole life to do something like they that. didn't know what mustard gas was yet they no didn't know what <laughs> trench warfare they didn't know what, was like they didn't know what like running through barbed wire was going to be like or landmines or you know, machine guns or anything <laughs> like it was like there was none of that it was just going to be a oh ho, ho, boys huh get on the horse yeah, ho, 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 yeah. get over that hill yeah take them oh, surrender ye so as a result you know millions of young men joined up yeah Unfortunately, they lied about didn't their age. Was coming too. at all? Yeah, a bunch of kids, sixteen, fifteen-year-old kids that were lying. I mean, there was a shortage in people, uh, in manpower in the British Army, so they were just allowing like there was there was a rule that it was nineteen was the was the cutoff, and then they dropped it to eighteen, and then they dropped it, and then they basically just you know said like just just write eighteen on the pan on the on the form, and you can just get in. You know, it's like. If there, you can sign your name on this form, you can join. Yeah, like there is even in that in that documentary, they will not grow old. Um, a few of the guys that were interviewed or that were still alive when were or, or whatever, whenever they were interviewed, uh, that were survivors of the war, um, were like you know like fifteen years old at the time, and they would go up to the recruiter, and the recruiter asked them how old they are, they'd be like fifteen, and it's like, just say you're eighteen, you know. Come, why don't you walk walk out of the recruitment office, come back in, and tell me you're 18, right? Just so we out. can put that on the record. Just so we can put that on the record, and like that's 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 what was going on, and you know, then you send all these kids there, and it's just it's just a war of annihilation, and and this movie uh, 
just does not I'm not saying it had to like this, this it's not like Dunkirk where it was like it was like completely whitewashed to the point of where it's like the movie resembles nothing of what that event actually was like it, it also doesn't even go into the horrificness of the actual event it does it, it basically like sugarcoats the entire thing to a point of uh I'd say just offensiveness Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even British and I was still offended by it. And you know, I was just like, man, those guys got fucking Christopher Nolan disrespected the shit out of those people that were there. But the, uh, Sam Mendes kind of dolls this one up even still. Like there's a small section of the movie in the very beginning where they first set out on their journey because the whole premise of the movie, if you haven't seen it is that, Oh, but spoilers, by the way, we're well, going to be, if you haven't seen 1917, just going to say spoilers up ahead. Also, skip it. Um, or don't watch it. Yeah, don't watch it. It's boring. It sucks. Um, it, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad movie. It's, 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 you'll fucking fall asleep. I swear to God. It's not fun. It's not, it's not deep or it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not like a the brooding, deep thinking film at all. It's very shallow. It, it, it doesn't touch any chords it doesn't bring up any it doesn't address anything it doesn't say anything it doesn't do shit it's about as exciting as around i'll say it's about as exciting as watching a let's play let's say uh, a a video game streamer on twitch or youtube just doing a let's play of a war game but he's not doing any commentary over it and you're just watching i'd say it's like well i was talking about you earlier it's more of like watching a guy play microsoft flight simulator oh yeah it's like can you imagine that like no commentary just him just flying a fucking like single engine plane over a city. You just watch that for, for two hours. Like that's essentially the same feeling you get from, from this movie. And there are some like kind of folks, I guess, exciting parts, but they're always coupled with like the dumbest shit. Well, like you said, uh, a few moments ago, the thing that stands out the most about this movie, the very beginning of the film, is the cinematography. Yeah. Sam Mendes has a penchant for choosing really great directors of photography to work on his films. And this started from his first movies like American Beauty and Road to Perdition, where he gets this great cinematographer who worked on movies such as Cool Hand Luke to and really Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, the material that's there. Starting with Jarhead, he started working pretty heavily with the very great and uh, famous and rightfully so, Roger Deakins. And I've said this before in the Christopher Nolan episode, look, just get this guy to photograph or to be behind the cinematography of your film. It's going to look great. If I made a movie of my own with no real story or structure in mind, but somehow got him to be behind the camera... Oh, you could like you'd you'd win some film festival. I'm thing. sure it would be yeah. nominated at you'd the have Sundance all those little, Film Festival. You'd have all or, those like dumb shit fucking like golden feather wings around all your on, on your movie poster, those like award things. It's just like it's like Oklahoma City Film Festival runner up or sure. something like that. <laughs> like <laughs> So you get so you get someone who's super, super talented to create the whole visual look of your film. It's gonna turn out great if you don't have a great story or anything underneath it to support the visuals, though you left with an ultimately hollow experience that leaves you frustrated and sort of pissed off after it's over. And that's pretty much what happened here. 
the premise of the movie is that these two guys are tasked with delivering a message to a separate company of soldiers and they have to traverse through enemy territory to get there. And the message is basically to tell them the other company to don't attack the Germans because the Germans are waiting for you and it's going to be a massacre. That's the whole premise of the movie right there. Um, they get the message and they send two guys on this one mission to uh, traverse the land and get to the other company. And when they first set out and they jump over the trench and they start going through no man's land, the cinematography just goes up to a hundred percent, just, just zero to a hundred right away. It's awesome. Like the, the landscape, everything, it, it looks war torn. It looks beat up. It looks great. The shot composition is the shot excellent. composition is excellent. All that stuff is all that stuff is there. It's building that tension. It's building that like, Oh God, like what's going to happen. And then just nothing happens after that. They it, go through, there's uh, nothing really happens until about 45 minutes later. And then there's like, <laughs> there's like a small, there's like a small, you know, incident, but like, I'm not even saying that like, I need to have like adrenaline fuel the entire time. I'm not saying that when I say nothing happens, I mean, nothing happens. I mean, there's no character building. There is no narrative. There is no learning about these guys really aside from very mumbly dialogue back and forth that has to do with like some very abstract sort of lines that have to do with like, Oh, are you from a farm? I'm from a farm. You got cows? No, I got pigs. Cool. Well, I just say the film just flatlines. Things just just happen. It just dies randomly. It's just, yeah, there's, there's no like, there's no buildup or, or payoff to anything. Um, Anytime that you feel like the guy is in actual danger, it's like he's being shot at by Germans who are attempting to fire their gun from underneath between their legs doing the fucking chicken dance. It's insane. They're like worse than stormtroopers. They can't hit shit. They're standing there. <laughs> like I was like, yeah, like I like a like all the Germans tactics for like trying to kill this one guy is just running at him wildly, shooting their gun in like wild positions like it's just just all over the place like it's like they just stood still and aimed and shot him It'd be fine but then the movie would fucking end it's like <laughs> these guys they're they're so bad it's it's just so laughable right they had to be bad shots because if he did actually get shot then how are we going to keep this going in one take? It's so stupid. <laughs> you can, I just feel like you can't do that anymore. Like back, It's fine for Star Wars, obviously, because if it's, it's more of like Star Wars is more of a, camp, a little more of a campy. I went, it's not a campy film, but it has more camp to it that uh, you can have stormtroopers that just shoot all around you. Sure. And stuff. The, it's, 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 that's kind of what the movie is. It's sort of the aesthetic of the film. It's sort of like what those movies are. Those Indiana Jones yeah, James uh, Bond. James Bond movies, you know? It's like, that's just kind of what they are. But this isn't a fucking campy-ass movie. It's super serious. This movie's supposed to make you feel like you're really in World War One. Yeah, it's like, and I, and <laughs> in World War One, it's like, I don't think that just two guys walking through a meadow for two and a half hours is, is really a good representation of anything. Mm-hmm. Like, there, and then there's like, it's weird. It's like the first half of the movie, they spend all this time building this tension, having these great sets. And then like the quality of the sets, like halfway through the film, just like drop off hard, like real hard. They get to a point where he's in like a ruined city 
the and like you know there's trying like, german soldiers like randomly patrolling like this is some sort of like stealth video game one german soldier is just walking back and forth in like one <laughs> arbitrary area and he's got like a sight line that you have to avoid it's like he, the like sam mendez just got done playing fucking like splinter cell and he's just applying it to his fucking movie and it's just the worst <laughs> it's the worst looking sets they look like just styrofoam buildings that were like spray painted they don't look good at all. Like there's, this, I don't know if it's the lighting or something, but there's something just weird about that scene where it makes it look like, like, oh, that's a set. When it comes to set design, it's a tricky thing because obviously you have to build sets to make your film, especially if it's in a period setting. Absolutely, yeah. where yeah, the world doesn't look like this anymore, of course. But there's a way to do it that doesn't call attention to the fact that what you're looking at is in fact a set with things propped up, models and other things, so to speak. I think of other war films like Saving Private Ryan, for instance, where, of course, they had to build sets for this film. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not against or, building sets. I'm just saying, like, there's every other movie that I've seen that does this, like like, it's like Saving Private Ryan, for example, like, they do it in a way where it's like it's completely believable. At least I think so. Especially the last scene in the last or the last section of the movie in Saving Private Ryan where they're in that town. They're like defending the Germans coming in. I think that's a totally believable town. Mm-hmm. I, I love that's it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's like a, that's a masterclass in like set design and stuff because there is uh, definitely some like CG going on in the buildings and stuff, but it's so well like blended in that you don't even notice it. In this in this film, like when they when the dude gets to the city that's been all blown up, it's like I think it has a lot to do with the lighting. Yeah, because there's the... like this like flare shooting up over the over the area, and it just looks like somebody's like cell phone flashlight on the fucking set, and it just it just shows all the shitty like things you're not supposed to see. It calls <laughs> so much attention. It calls to itself. so much attention to itself. It's so bad. Rather than building up the environment somewhat organically where you have the character just just walking through it and he just happens by a certain oh, you can hide you can hide it in the foreground and background you kind of blur things you can do that foreground background like blurring kind of stuff where you yeah, like change depth of field depth of field focus where you can hide things you can you can sort of like you can make things passable that way even if it looks shitty uh but they just pull they just pulled out like a, a like a surgery light like a fucking like a doctor's like overhead light like over the set so you just see everything <laughs> well what were those lights was it flares it was flares it was a flare and it was okay. like the world's brightest flares in my life like the sun was fucking exploding on the set it was insane also the whole start of the scene is such bullshit because it negates the entire premise of this film which is we're making it look like it's one shot okay right right before he the main character comes across this the ruins of this place and it's all on fire the film cuts to black for yeah just for straight up yeah for a little while oh there's so many cuts in this film if anybody says that this whole movie is like one long take like you're out of your mind like we were sitting there we can count there's like at least six like hard cuts in this film that like i mean it, look i'm not against there being cuts of the film but that's what it's touted as it's touted as being this one long take huge achievement and it's just this, it's several long take scenes 
but it's not one continuous thing. That's just not accurate. And you could even say in terms of the area in which the traver- which the characters are supposed to be traversing throughout this film, the geography of this of this thing is so incoherent because they're supposed to get from where they are at the beginning of the movie to where they are at the end of the movie. And they, the characters even state it's supposed to take them six to eight hours to get there yeah. on foot. Granted, there is a section of the film where he's, uh, or one of the characters, the one who doesn't die, is in a truck being driven around for a bit. But they don't get very far. That truck gets stuck in the yeah, mud. Yeah, he, he finds a ride to try and get himself because he's, he's just a fat, lazy piece of shit who can't fucking walk an extra couple hours. He's got to get a ride. So I want to talk real quick about Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, yes. So Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> was like hugely promoted to be, you know, in this film and, and be a big part of it and stuff. And he was in the trailer. He was he's got he's in the uh, the credits on the poster, all kind of stuff. And this guy, I mean, I like Benedict Cumberbatch quite a bit. Um, I think he's great. But he's in the film for a total of like probably probably two minutes at the very very end which sucks i hate that when that happens they advertise they advertise him up and then they have him for like fucking one second in the film at the very very end the cast of this film besides it's pretty good besides the two young lads who we follow for most of it is really good you got people like colin firth at the very beginning you got mark strong about at the midpoint Benedict Cumberbatch was, like you said, the one who was featured most prominently in the the trailers for this thing. And you're thinking, wow, here's all these world-class British actors. Cool. I can't wait to see. Collectively, they're in the movie for about five minutes, all of them. Yeah, and it's just such a waste. It is. It's huge. Because all those characters, like, what sucks is that, like, yeah, even though, you know, they were only in the movie for a second, they were quite good. I I, I thought Mark, Mark Strom was really good. Benedict was good. Colin Firth. They're, they're all fantastic, but they're, they're only in there for like a second. They managed to elevate the material for just they a were, little they bit were while they were the only on bright parts of the movie, really, was those performances. In terms of performances, this film, like those are like the only ones. The rest of them, it's just like, you just follow these two guys and like they're fine at all, but they don't really have anything to do or say or push the narrative in any way like whatsoever. And one of them just gets stabbed and it's like, all right, yeah, I, I guess that, I guess you're dead now. I think the two leads in this film are fine actors. The problem is the writing and the script that they have is just hardly anything at all. They're it feels main, more like improved. They're main, like on the spot, like just yeah. do like like Mendez was just like yeah, just do some banter, just do some whatever, like like just improv some fucking we're at war. Let's talk about home for a second shit. I just feel like, I feel like it comes from a fact that they're just not interesting characters to begin with. Like they're just like kind of John Everyman's. There's nothing distinctive about them. They're just kind of nameless faces in the crowd. And they're just, I don't even really understand why these two characters themselves were picked for the mission. And I guess one aspect is that the, one of the characters picked for the mission, like had a brother Mm-hmm. That was in the company that they were trying to get to, but even that, and it doesn't seem like that big of a reason why they would send him. Like it's like what, like wh- that whole scene at the what, beginning. Why? <laughs> that whole that whole scene at the beginning where they are woken up and then brought into the 
the bunker where Colin Firth is explaining the whole mission to them felt a little weird because why is the general explaining so much to why them? Why is the general explaining all of their like big plans to like these two low end ranking guys? Like what the fuck? He really gives them a lot of information when I think in reality, God forbid you get captured. I think in reality, the general will just say, I need you to do this mission. Here's the piece of paper you're supposed to deliver. Go from here to here. Those are your orders. You could have just done that. Yeah. And honestly, like, you know, that actually might've been kind of interesting. Because if they didn't know why they were doing what they were doing, that could have been a thing that could have been like a conflict of like their motivation to keep going. You know what I mean? Like halfway through the journey to get there, they don't even know why they're doing it. They could have had an argument between the characters. Like it's probably nothing. It's probably bullshit. It's probably like, you know, some crappy thing that like they're just sending us because they think we're expendable. They're just sending us to do this because like, you know, the fucking cable between the trenches is broken. So we can't use the independence day communication machine to get between the fucking things. I think that would have worked pretty well. Actually, that would have been interesting. See, th- that would have been an interesting thing, but it's like, no, the general is just going to explain all of the British army's like grand plans. He to shows these them all two. the maps. He, he shows, shows them, them all the maps, all the things. He just gives them the nuclear codes and just sends them on their way. And they're like, all right. He also, I, he, I think it was to like, give them the gravity of, like the situation i think it was more for yeah. the audience and yeah it was explaining it's it was exposition for the audience to yeah. understand because the audience needs state. to see the maps the audience need to see we need we won't we we need to see those maps we need we, oh okay i see now they're there and we need to go here i got gotcha. look there's a big important british general guy explaining things sit down and listen let's get it in there and you also don't really get any sense of what these guys have been through before this mission yeah, you just find them. You don't get any like prologue whatsoever. You Are just, they weary from any of the war so far? They're have, fine. Like they're totally clean. They don't have their clothes are fine. They're just sitting under a tree, sleeping. Did they just get recruited or what's yeah, up? Like who? Like you don't get anything from these guys whatsoever. Like at least, uh, you know, that's one thing. Uh, Another war movie uh, with Mel Gibson, the We Were Soldiers, about Vietnam, like the first guys to go into battle in Vietnam, which is a fantastic film. They do something very interesting where they start the movie and right. most of the first the first act of the film, they haven't even left for Vietnam yet. Mm-hmm. They're just at living on the base or living in the neighborhood that's like attached to the base or whatever like that. So you get to know like all these guys, like wives and kids, and you 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 know that they all have families. You've met their families, so you can. There's a lot more gravity and weight when they're in the battle. That uh, there's a lot more riding there because there's there's people that you know care about them. There's people that know that that they're out there and that are heartbroken to hear that they would be that they were killed or something like that. There's something there, you know, to like make you care about the characters. And yeah, this, it's like, it's just two fucking slaggy fucking slabs, just, just like, just fucking a couple of chavs just like squatting under a tree, get told they have to go fucking run from one end of the area to the other. And that's it. There's nothing tying these characters to the audience whatsoever. So if you've seen the trailer for this film, the main shot, I'm sure you remember, is the big long shot where, what's his name? But, uh, I think it's the character's name. 
Yeah, the character's name. I think it's. I only know his Schofield. name. Schofield. The other one, I don't know his name, and I gu- I guarantee you, like you like watch this movie with your friend, and then immediately afterwards, ask him what the names of the fucking main characters are, and like watch him struggle. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I actually just watched it. But, I just finished uh, watching it. It's like, ah, I don't fucking know. <laughs> so there's the shot, the trailer shot, which is the it's it's him going up over the trenches as everyone charges. Yeah, he's and running past him. There's all these explosions happening in the background. That's the that's supposed to be the the big moment. The big money shot. The big money shot, right. The kerplunk. But it's over so fast. Yeah, it's it's done. Yeah, he immediately goes whoop, jumps right back into the trenches, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go see Benedict Cumberbatch now. I gotta go see Benedict Cumberbatch so we can end the movie, so we can just <laughs> get this over with." <laughs> I go, Mr. Cumberbatch is supposed to tell us when the movie's over. So he goes in there and he says, "Sir, I have orders that you need to call off this charge," and he's like, "No." <laughs> and he's like really you need to read it and he's like no okay uh, okay and he looks at it and goes all right we'll we'll call off the attack and then they call off the attack credits <laughs> and then well not quite he not meets, quite, up, he meets up with the he meets up briefly with the brother of his uh companion who died earlier in the movie and says oh uh i knew your i knew your brother and he died, and I'm sorry. Great acting by that 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 the, the the character's brother that he meets up with. Like, by the way, I thought his he had like one tiny little scene, and he actually that was great. He did a good job. I did like their that little bit of subtle acting where Schofield or whatever his name was didn't really tell him that his brother died. But he gets it. Yeah, he gets it. Yeah, yeah. you know, you see his expression change from. Uh, kind of a joyous saying, "Oh, you knew my brother," and then he's like, "Oh, yes, yeah. he's not here. He did. Oh, well, he did. Uh, this war sucks. Yeah. Anyway, I guess try and get some food and rest while you're over yeah. here. And no, uh, he did a great job. That was that was a great that was a great scene. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it's just it's way too little, way too late. Yeah. Because like the movie ends right after that, and it's just like, all right, cool. Another aspect that really bothered me was that this whole mission was like really time sensitive. They had eight hours or they had until like the next morning or something like that to get the message to the other guys to tell them not to attack. So they were under like a time crunch, right? And Mm -hmm. so like, I love how like most of the movie, they're just kind of like walking slowly fucking like, oh, look at that. That's a look at that tree over there. That's that ain't that something. And and now oh, look, oh, there's berries here. Oh, isn't that cool? There's berries here. Oh, let's pick some berries and stuff. And then like, oh, you know, let's stop at this farm and have some milk. Oh, that's cool, you know. Like they're just like taking their like sweet ass. There's like no sense of urgency to like get this done whatsoever. Let's just we'll just take a, every single scene of them getting to a new set or getting to a to a new area that they're probably really Sam Mendes is really proud of. Is like they have to stop and take a break and take a rest because you got to use the set. You gotta like, you gotta use the area. You gotta let everybody get a good like, good view of the whole thing. So like, every single scene is I'm just like resting <laughs> on this like time sensitive thing, and then when he gets to uh, 
later, uh, so the his partner gets killed, and he has to continue the mission on his own. And he gets to the part where he's at this ruined city, and he's just sort of like slowly walking through this city, like not not booking it at all until he starts getting shot at. But it's just such a lack of urgency throughout the entire thing, right? And stuff until like the right at the very end, he gets there, and then they already started the attack. So a whole first wave of guys is like just running to their deaths. And he's just like, oh shit, now I have to go. (laughs) I don't even talk about the fact that like if I had just not stopped and ate berries, if I had just like stopped and like picked, like fucking filled up my canteen with some weird milk, or if I hadn't stopped to like just sit on my ass for a bit, maybe I would have got there like five minutes earlier and (laughs) these guys wouldn't all be dead. Like a lot of the movies that we talk about, we talk about them because we feel more than anything, it's a waste of potential. The only reason why we're making episodes about movies like 1917 and about Dunkirk and so on is because we were really looking forward to these movies. We really were. We wanted to love them. I wanted to like it so much. I even wanted to like this movie. As I was watching it, I was trying to figure it out because, like, you know, like I said, there were some things I liked. It's some, like, we talked about cinematography at nauseum, but, like, it's it's so hard. You just, there, that's not enough to bring a movie together. It's just not. I'm and, willing to forgive a lot in a motion picture if if it wows you in the beginning and if it wows you at the end. The middle part doesn't matter too much. One of my favorite animated films, like uh, Akira, for instance. Yeah, the middle part is real. Like The first 10 to 15 minutes of Akira and the last 10 to 15 minutes of the thing are amazing. Are some of the best animation ever put on screen, ever. And then you forget about the other hour and a half. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, oh, whatever. <laughs> before uh, that <laughs> takes place in between where it's just like, oh, right, this movie's kind of a mess yeah. <laughs> and makes zero sense. <laughs> and they were just kind of they had those two points. They just had to connect them. They had to get you to the end point, you know, and that's, and that's, you know what? I, I'm with you. Like I would totally, I, I totally forgive a film for having like, cause a, a kind of like a rough middle section. And honestly, I feel like the middle section is probably the hardest part to even get interesting. It's really hard you know? to make a film consistently. That's why they always did like montages and shit in the eighties, you know, cause they're like, fuck it. Like, you know, we got them in the beginning We'll just montage him till he's good at fighting. And then at the end, we're just trying to get you to the part where he fights the main dude at the end. It's really you hard know? to make a movie consistently engaging from beginning, middle, and end. And I think there are... But I think there's a difference yeah. between like engaging and like you, like you like what I would call like utility work. You have your engaging moments, like you have your action moments or you have your drama moments or, you know, you, if it's a comedy, you have like your, your, your great bits, you know, your kind of high, high water bits throughout it. And your middle section is really just a build up. Your second act is really just like a build up to the third one. It's really just like a, it's, it's to get all the ducks in a row so you know all the characters' motivations, you know all the, the narrative, you know all the different aspects of the plot and stuff. And it, it just kind of gives you all the information, all the exposition you need for the last act. And, you know, the first act is just introducing characters and whatnot. But you really needed, this movie really needed that middle section to fill it out. The beginning and the end were pretty much the same. 
in terms of like the level of tension, in terms of level of anything. This movie never like really pops off. There's no wow factor of this movie really, other than this like the the beautiful sets and, and cinematography. It's like there is that scene at the very end where with all the explosion with like, you know, the the charge and the explosions, but like Jordan said, it lasts about two seconds and it's over and it's about 30 seconds and even it's about the, as long as you see the it set in the trailer. itself and the set itself in which it takes place is the least interesting one it's just a grassy field it's just yeah it's it's a grass about a hundred soldiers yeah, running across in which you know some cg explosions most of which aren't even hitting the actual soldiers they are just kind of poorly placed and they fall over some of them are even hitting like right next to the soldiers and they're just like not doing anything and then there's like some soldiers that just like fall over like for no reason whatsoever and just like and just just they just like i guess i'll die now maybe that was a strategy <laughs> for certain soldiers who are like well maybe if i just fall over and act like i'm i'm dead i'm 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 off the hook i mean that's what i would do I'd be Absolutely. the worst soldier. I'd be ever. the worst one. Yeah, I would just fucking yeah, I just fall. Oh no! Oh, I have explosion. Yeah, I threw me over here. Yeah, I'm totally like can't I can't fight. But um, the uh, that that final scene though, it's just there was nothing really to build it up before. There was nothing to. There's no build up or payoff whatsoever. It just kind of happens, and then that's it. The movie ends, and it ends on like a very like odd awkward area it, it ends awkwardly they just say hey good job for doing that and then all right and then the movie ends <laughs> and world war one is going to keep going another year yeah. or two so the movie pretty much ends as it begins with the Schofield or the main character Leaning against a tree. Sitting against a tree. Oh, it's so poetic. Oh, man. It's uh, like poetry. It's, so, it's like poetry, so it rhymes. He's looking at photos of his family because you find out offhand that he actually is married and has children. I didn't even know that. I've seen this movie twice now. I didn't even know that. It's <laughs> kind of subtle. Um, <laughs> I think I missed that part. Well, like, for instance, uh, around the midpoint of the film where he's in the ruins and he comes across that oh so he's french woman. He, he, yeah he's he's taking his sweet ass time yeah, he, t- <laughs> he comes across that french woman with her child and he tries to help her out a little bit she asks him if he has a wife or a family or anything he just doesn't answer just because oh, I think he speaks uh, french yeah he's, he's <laughs> well he speaks a little a little bit yeah he could probably say you know whatever i have a wife in french but yeah he yeah, just yeah. chooses not to because the film didn't want to reveal that till the very end and I guess that's good writing. I guess I don't. I don't know. Is this script like one page long? Oh, really? That's true. Most scripts are. I mean, I'm just seventy-five saying, I don't, pages. I don't, I don't know if it is one page long. I'm just. I'm just saying. Like, I mean, it's. It feels like it. It feels like. Like there's just nothing. There is no effort into actually like having any sort of dialogue to help flesh out these characters in any way. Yeah, which you totally. I mean, and like I said before, like you don't have to have a dialogue heavy movie to tell a story at all but when you have a movie where most of your movie is walking around you sort of need some dialogue to like flesh out some characters or get some motivation get some plot going get some fucking narrative going or something so give me something some of my favorite movies have very minimal dialogue in them yeah and that can be in a very effective way to tell your story but if you're just doing it because you don't know what you want your characters to say or you don't really have a way to 
to convey that, then I'd say just either hire a better writer or just choose a different story to tell. I mean, I even think that with the material that he had there, there, you could still, you could still salvage something out of this, you know, it's just, there is, there is just no effort taking into that. And I think that maybe, you know, we don't know. I wasn't there or anything, but like maybe like he was so preoccupied with the, the whole long take situations that his actual film like fell by the wayside, you know, he probably got so preoccupied with like the gimmick that he let basic like movie archetypes just kind of fall away. It just seems like an experienced director and a completely unexperienced writer, which is which he is. But I mean, it just shows so hard. Like you just can't, I don't, what's the deal? Like why, why even like, take this on yourself like why why don't even just hire a writer you can beat like sam you can if you want to just focus on the long takes just do that just do that just focus on the long takes hire a writer hire somebody to fucking help you with your movie you know and do this but just like he, i i feel like he just thought that that the the whole like visual aspect of it would have been enough and it you know the fidelity itself like definitely wasn't enough well it's it's a similar problem that we've had with Christopher Nolan. He cares more about the 4DX yeah. cinema If you told me experience. that 1917 was directed by Christopher Nolan, I would believe you. Like, if I didn't know, like, I would be like, yeah, there's, there's so many similarities here. I think that Dunkirk was part of the inspiration to even making this film in the first place. It had to have been, yeah. Which was, ooh, well, Christopher Nolan made his grand epic World War II film well, maybe I'll do my, uh, well, I'll make one, but I'll one-up him even more. Yeah. Because I think that, I don't think the two are really compadres necessarily, but I think there is a little bit of a thing going on between the two of them in the sense that one, when Christopher Nolan directs one movie, Sam Mendes kind of follows with another one that is a little bit similar but is trying to take things uh, or certain things a little bit further. For instance, when Nolan directed The Dark Knight, I think Sam Mendes saw that and thought, ooh, well, I'm going to be directing the next James Bond film. Mm, yeah. I'm going to take some cues from The Dark Knight, at least in terms of the action and cinematography, and try and do that. The color palette is actually quite similar between the two. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. It's like the the actual like saturation of the movie is like really similar if you look at it. It could just be like modern filmmaking at that time just kind of looked like that, but at the same time like those those fucking blues. I think there also through. is a well, one other similarity. This might be just a coincidence, but both Dunkirk and 1917 both have the same editor. Oh. Okay. I didn't, even, I didn't actually even know that. <laughs> I, I looked it up a little earlier. I was just trying to see if there was any yeah. similarities in terms of like That's who, gonna was, do it. Yeah. who was a part of the production staff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense now. So I feel like these two guys, they probably hang out. Yeah, there's something there. They're, absolutely, yeah. Well, so, you know, in summation, it's just... If you want to watch a movie where it's like a it's like a visual representation of a grown man jerking himself off on on camera 
to the point of where it's like he's he's so goddamn proud of it it's not even sexual at that point then then please by all means enjoy 1917 um it is masturbatory on a grand scale in all the wrong reasons right or if you want to watch better world war one films watch lawrence of arabia watch it, it's worth glory. it it's worth it if watch you got the time War watch lawrence of arabia it's awesome watch a very long engagement all these films have been made uh well pass the glory and lawrence of arabia are pretty old now but they're all really really well made and and check out they will not grow old oh yeah on on hbo because essentially what it is is like it's a bunch of footage from like old timey footage from world war one that's been like remastered and colorized and they've been like soundscaped and stuff. Like it's, it's, it's insane. And it's, it's a really awesome. Like, I mean, to me, like that's a feat, right? A feat. Like they were able to take like grainy, like, like hand cranked film footage and colorize it and slow it down. So it's not that weird, like jerky, like speed that like those old films are always in. It's like, and add like sound effects and voices and stuff to it. And like, really just like bring it like to life. So it's like, if you wanted to know like what it looks like to be in that war, like what the front actually, it, you can, you can see it in like full color. It's amazing. And Peter Jackson just hit it out of the park with that. Oh, absolutely. I think Peter Jackson, I have some mixed feelings about some of the movies he's made post Lord of the Rings. Yeah, uh, we all do. <laughs> but He's definitely way less of a hack. I don't think he's a hack at all. I don't think Peter Jackson's a hack whatsoever. We're not going to do an episode about Peter Jackson. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, I, I think that he's he's a very good filmmaker. But um, you know, and uh, it's more of a it's. I think it's more of a case of like, look, they can't all be winners. Oh yeah, you know, it's just you know they're not all great. Even though know, Sam Mendes himself even has some he has some good films under oh, his yeah. thing. And I'm not even gonna we're not gonna give him the full hack that we would give to like Christopher Nolan and stuff but it's just this film is like it's pretty it's it's just completely unacceptable i think like it's just it's it's bad to a point where i will not be watching any more sam mendes films after it like i'm not gonna be like this is i was like okay all right no (laughs) yeah probably not it's a big nope for me i just think that part of why we wanted to focus on this so much too is just Look, if the the feedback or the critical response or audience response to this film was more on the more on the mediocre side, if if it just if it wasn't as universally praised as it was, we wouldn't be probably wouldn't even do an episode. Be on doing it. this whole yeah. episode. It's just the fact that it's really hard to find any kind of negative or even critical response to this film at all when I feel like the flaws of it are just so they're just there. They're so blatant and blaring. Yeah. It's hard to miss them. Yeah. It was rough. Cause like, I remember like when we saw this in theaters, I, I like, then like the first like 10 minutes, I just like leaned over Jordan. I was like, this is going to suck. I remember, <laughs> I remember like the first scene or so, even before they even got to talking to Colin Firth's yeah, I was character. Like, oh, this is, this you're is going to fucking suck. Just like, this is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to be optimistic. I was eating my popcorn, my, my, my free birthday popcorn. 
I was sitting back. I was enjoying my giant beer. No, it was on your birthday. Happy birthday, Jordan. Here's this, <laughs> shitty, this shitty fucking movie. You know, <laughs> I was, I'm just like, well, maybe it'll get better. You know, yeah. it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. It's cool. It's like, no, no, this is going to be bad. <laughs> and then I just kept sinking further and further down into my seat as it kept going. By the end of it, we both left just pissed off. Yeah, and, it was so fucking bad. And, well, <laughs> we're definitely going to have to, we're definitely going to have to make a podcast episode about this one. Oh, my God. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. We will, uh,. We'll be back with something different next time. We're going to try and get out of the whole war war theme, you know. I feel like we've been digging that into the ground. We're going to try and switch gears up here with the next episode. Yeah, for episode five, we'll definitely have something different. In the meantime, feel free to send us a line. We uh, have an email, which is hacksawpodcast at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel where we upload our videos, or excuse me, we upload our podcasts with a, a little video slideshow accompaniment at our Hacksaw Podcast YouTube channel. If YouTube's your thing, definitely check that out. All right, and with that, we are signing off. See you next time, fellas. Later. Thank you.